software is getting a lot better at all areas of the stack. And what does that mean? What it translates to in many cases is that software simply becomes higher level. Take GitLab, for example. So what is GitLab? GitLab is basically an open source, high level, loose collection of DevOps tools that gives you a introductory experience that is not bad out of the box. So that's what GitLab does. Why do I mention GitLab? This show is not about GitLab. This show is about BetterStack. What is BetterStack? BetterStack is a company that was referred to me by Leo Polovets of Sousa Ventures, who sends me the most interesting companies to look at. Seriously, he's probably sent me, over the last five years, he's probably sent me, I don't know, 30 companies that he's invested in. And those include, I, I think if I get this right, you know, Mux. He sent me Mux when they did the seed round, which is just very characteristic of Leo, just smart enough to see Mux far before anybody else. Anyway, this is not an episode about Leo. I hope Leo comes on again in the future. This is an episode about BetterStack. What is BetterStack? BetterStack is one of the coolest infrastructure companies I have seen in a while. Why is it so cool? BetterStack does something new. And what that new thing is, is that they're like GitLab for monitoring. And I think that's my tortured analogy. I don't think that's his. Uh, Draj, he's the guest for today's show, Draj Masar. So he, he runs BetterStack. And BetterStack is essentially like this unified hub for DevOps tools that he that he creates. It's like a full stack, him and his team. It's a full stack monitoring solution. It's it's out of the box tracing and I think metrics and maybe logging. And the essential idea is like, we're giving you an out of the box experience for metrics and you're going to like it. And maybe it's not as good as Datadog in some ways, but it's actually different than Datadog. Datadog is a very deep product suite at this point. And what we know about monitoring is that it is one of these fields that just reinvents itself all the time. The reason it reinvents itself is because monitoring, almost like like the smartphone, just needs to be refreshed. You know, every few years where you basically say, okay, let's start from zero and ask ourselves, what can we do in machine learning? What can we do in user interfaces? What does React do these days? What does GraphQL do these days? We have all these things together. What do we get? Do we get anything special? We do get something special today. So... The TikTok of yesterday's metrics platform to today's metrics platform has gone through a period, and at the end of that period is BetterStack. BetterStack is a very new type of product. It is a fully integrated GitLab-like experience for monitoring. Draj is a fantastic guest. I am very excited about this company. I think you're going to like this episode if you are at all interested in cloud operations and DevOps and that kind of stuff. Thank you. Jay, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I don't usually start out shows this way, but I found your company through a uh, venture capitalist who I'm friends with named Leo Polovets, who's been on the show, and he has great taste in software companies. I think Leo is an example of somebody who is continually able to find deals that other people are not seeing and find a lot of value. So I'd like to start by just asking you, to the extent that you understand him and know his portfolio, how does he select software companies to invest in? The funny part is that we actually did the deal uh, with with his partner, Chad, right? So I read Leo's essays before, obviously, before Sousa, Sousa Ventures invested. 
but it was a funny co- coincidence. So frankly, you need to ask Leo about his magic. But I do agree with you. It's not a coincidence. There is a pattern in the choices they make. So when I look at your landing page, the first thing that comes to mind is, and forgive me if this is wrong, but the first thing that comes to mind is the GitLab page. So I don't know if you've ever been to GitLab, but GitLab you know, has all these bells and whistles when you go to the page and they say, okay, we basically re- will replace every piece of software in your entire software development lifecycle workflow. Here's how we're going to replace it. And then I look at your website, kind of looks like that's what you're trying to do in the monitoring domain. So you're basically saying there's so much monitoring software out there, we're going to build a unified system for it. I- is that an accurate way of, of understanding what you're up to? Partly. Well, let me answer the question by asking a different question. Does it make sense for any company, any, any tech startup running a website or a web app to have one app for monitoring purposes, one app for, that actually monitors an API, another app that calls the right person on the team, wakes them up in the middle of the night to fix the issue, and a third app to show a status page to your clients, right? So essentially what I'm, what I'm talking about is, say, Pingdom as the first company, PagerDuty as the second company, and StatusPage.io from Atlassian as the third company. Does it make sense for most of the tech startups out there to use these three tools in conjunction? Where if you think about it really, what is incident management? It is, it is essentially passing the information that something's wrong and then you need to fix it within a company, right? To the right person in the team. What is a status page? Well, it's the same thing really. You're just doing it externally. And when you, when you connect these tools via integrations and APIs, some things get, get lost in translation, right? And so if this was an MBA, we would say that, that most businesses can be described as bundling and unbundling of, of what came before. So, so this is one way of looking at it. From my perspective, I'm fixing my own itch, right? Like I'm, I'm solving my own problems. And monitoring is as old as the internet is. But some issues were not solved before we started digging into this. Let me give you an example. Your site goes down for two minutes, but it takes you five minutes to open up your notebook. And when you refresh your product, everything seems to be working great. So what is the number one thing going in your mind? Well, was this a fake incident or was it a really short incident, right? And all the monitoring tool that I used before would just tell me, you know, <laughs> your API was giving me five or three and right now it works. But what we do is that we take a screenshot of the pair of the error page, we save the error message, and we show it to you in the very first incident report that you get, right? Like your site went down for two minutes and it says the, the web server cannot connect to a database, right? And this is really not a rocket science. This is something that the all the monitoring tools should have as a feature, should have had as a feature for ages, but for some reason they didn't, right? And I, I cannot really answer why did they didn't have it before because it makes so much sense for me so we just frankly we just build it something that we as developers wanted to use ourselves the conceit makes sense you you would want all of these things in one system or i put it another way i think for companies that have been around for 10 years maybe it makes more sense for them to use the disconnected systems that they've been using for a long time because it's so tightly knit into their infrastructure but if you're building a new company today, you want to be operating at a higher level. 
And this is something that bundles several applications that have synergies with each other together and lets you work from a higher plane. Yeah, you you sold it very well. So why is that? Why are we now in a time where we're bundling this stuff together and why has it been disconnected in the past? Well, if you look at, at companies like Better Duty, which is a YC company, and the history of the company is very well documented. For some reason, well, how, Jeff, help me out here. How old is incident measurement? No, it's as, it's as old as software itself. I mean, it's just the incident. The, the, but yeah, it is yeah. solved internally at the companies, right? If you, well, like when was, when was PagerDuty founded? Uh, 20, 2006, 2007, or 2009? What, what I'm getting at is that I think these companies started as incremental changes to the status quo before. And right now, I just feel like it's, uh, we are ready for for next chapter, right? And I'm not being romantic here. I'm just, um, we're just sort of developing software that, that makes sense. So that it just makes sense for it to exist, if you know what I mean. It, it really is not rocket science. The number one thing people tell us is that it's super simple to set up the software. I don't want to sound like a uh, sales guy here. So let me put it from a different sp- perspective. When I've been in, in different VP of engineering, CTO roles for ages, right? And I've tried all these infrastructure monitoring tools. And let's talk about uptime monitoring specifically for a second. I use an, a number of international phone numbers, right? And one of the very naive thing when you're when you have a number, a non-US number, when you sign up for any monitoring tool, is what you're thinking is that, is this tool actually going to call me? Does it call international numbers, right? You're thinking, how is the, the alert when it actually goes off actually going to look like, right? And for some reason, it is extremely hard or laborious to get a test alert from most of these services, right? So in a very abstract way, what Better Uptime is selling you is a better service, but mainly a better user experience that you, you're used to when you're using B2C apps, like say, well, anything that you have on your phone, really. But this trend of making the, the software easier to grasp, easier to use, is finally getting to enterprise tools that you use for work. And I don't want to talk, talk shit about competition or talk shit about any, anybody else, but finding one person who is going to tell you that, well, I'm an SRE, and the man, I love the PagerDuty dashboard. Man, I love the AWS dashboard. It's just so intuitive and it makes sense. Like nobody's going to ever tell you that, right? The, essentially, that is the entire business model behind DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean can only exist because it does less than AWS, right? And I think that this is an overall trend that you are going to see in, in, in most of the B2B infrastructure SaaS tools as well. All right, so here's my thesis. We're at a point where you have new kinds of web-based companies that basically position themselves like domain-specific operating systems in the cloud. And the reason for that is we've solved the front end because we've got React. We've solved the back end because we've got really good cloud infrastructure and Kubernetes. So now... It's a question of what does software look like when you've solved the interface and you've solved the back end? It looks a lot better. It looks a lot easier to use. So if you look at Git, GitLab, GitLab is like, okay, we're the operating system for your DevOps. 
if you look at ClickUp, they're like, we're the operating system for your productivity tools. And then you look at what you're trying to do, and you're basically kind of having an operating system level approach of monitoring and uptime. You're saying this domain is so big that we need to basically like make an interface and and like a system for managing these different domains that are the subdomains of of up to of monitoring essentially but in a nutshell i'm trying to delight our customers that's what i'm trying to use and how come any monitoring software can have a high nps net promoter score frankly do people actually like using infrastructure monitoring tools because whenever you need to open them up you're something's wrong and you need to fix it and you're having a bad experience anyway right so Counterintuitively, I don't want our users to really think about better uptime or, or use it too much. I, I want them to use it as little as they as they need to at, at the very beginning. I want to delight them, right? So even if you have two pieces, two almost identical products feature-wise, at the end of the day, I feel like people are going to gravitate towards the product that gives them a better user experience. And that is essentially, I think, what you're trying to say. We solve the front end, we solve the back end, we are able to ship software faster than ever. So finally, we can get to the ultimate problem, which is creating delightful products. And at the end of the day, your customer that doesn't really care if your backend is built in Java, Scala, NextJS, whatever, right? They don't care. They care, is the, is the app fast? Does it do what I want it to do? And how painful is it for me to work with the app? Right. And, and if some, something breaks, is there somebody to ask for help? Right. That's the thing. So, so ironically, most of the time I'm thinking about user experience and, and product and what is, and software engineering for me is mostly the canvas that small startups use to deliver that amazing user experience. Doesn't make sense at all, Jeff. Yeah, totally. Okay. So we've got kind of the vision laid out for people. How does that lead to the product strategy? Like, where did you start with the product? What was the first set of things you built? How did you, I mean, I understand where you're going conceptually with the company. What was your entry point for the for the product? What was the MVP, basically? Sure. It's extremely funny. You can, it's still online. You can go to betteruptime.com slash homepage dash V1 and you can see the very first homepage. By the way, I highly recommend everyone doing this. Whenever you do a major redesign, like save, and this is not necessarily design-wise, but when you shift the way you talk about products, save the previous version so that you can comp- contrast and copy because time flies by in startups super fast. So, so betteruptime.com slash homepage dash view? Homepage dash V1. As a, V1. As in version got it. Yeah. And if you open it up, it says, <laughs> it, right. says, it says, we call you when your website goes down, right? It says, cannot afford the downtime, get alerted with the fastest uptime monitoring service, free plan included. As you can see, we're still searching for what is the main value prop here. At, at that point, we were, we were advertising, this is the fastest uptime monitoring service. Turns out people don't care about that. They care about reliability. But there is one amazing aspect about this landing page that I love is that this is the entire onboarding. You can see three fields on the page. What's your work email? What is the URL to monitor? What is the phone number to call? CTA start monitoring for free. You click it and you're like, okay, do you want to get phone calls as well? 
Our all-you-can-eat plan, plan includes all the international phone calls. Enter your credit card here. You enter your credit card, done, boom. This was the MVP. It calls the right person on your team. No BS, like one page to set it up. And if you think about all the other monitoring tools, like give me one example of a service which is so easy to set up, right? And this comes down to, I'm not the kind of guy that enjoys tweaking my Prometheus config, right? What I like is actually running my business and, and building amazing software, shipping yet another feature, right? And I have my Prometheus in place so that the servers don't crash, right? But that's it. It's an insurance, essentially. Better Uptime is an insurance policy that you are purchasing so that you know that your software works. Okay. Again, that's great. Pretty high level. Tell me a little bit, like, at a deeper level. So, like, are you installing an agent? Are you... You know, like, how is this thing working? Right. So better uptime, better uptime essentially is an external monitoring. So, so you enter your, the URL and your contact info and, and you're done. We are monitoring your, your website from multiple regions, depending on your configuration, from multiple locations. And when we verify that there is an incident uh, going on, that your site is down for, for some reason or your CDN is down or whatnot, we notify you in the best way possible for you. It's as simple as that. So how much information can you get about a company by that kind of external monitoring? Well, anything which is publicly available or privately, if you, if you, if you for instance, use some private credentials for, for monitoring private APIs, but anything that the browser can see, headers, timing, but frankly, the most interesting thing is not about one particular request or response header that we get from your server. It's about the time series of different events that led to a particular incident, right? So let's say we get to the point where I have an incident. Like I, I'm woken up at three in the morning. I have no idea what's going on. What is better uptime telling me? It tells you th that these were the free error messages that your web server shown as it went down. So it started with, you know, a long request that timed out. Then uh, the, the first error message was that uh, your web server cannot connect to a database. And then whatever, your, your Redis ended up failing as a result of being overloaded since other things didn't really work out. So it shows you the public, the time series of the public events. At the same time, this is the moment typically where you would shift to our other product. So the company that I run is called betterstack.com, right? And it is a collection of tools. And Better Uptime is the very first product people find and use. This is what we've been talking about <laughs> so far. It is uptime monitoring with incident management built in at a status page. If you're investigating an incident, you do need to see metrics, logs, maybe traces. You need to see the inner diagnostic data from your app. And at this point, you would typically switch to Locktail, which shows you exactly what's going on in your cluster. Got it. Okay, so if I look at betterstack.com, I see two products. I see Better Uptime, and then I see Logtail. So basically, with Better Uptime, you're trying to have monitoring tools under a high-level application, like good, use, good UX world, 
And then Logtail, it looks like you're kind of trying to apply the same product design philosophy to the log management space. That's correct, yes. And we are blurring the gap between logs and metrics because what Logtail does is that it stores your logs in a structured form, right? So typically most of the Elasticsec-based solutions out there um, essentially mostly allow you to search your logs, but sort of that's it, right? What we do is that we automatically recognize uh, commonly used log patterns for your logs coming from Engine, X, and Apache and generate dashboards, dynamic dashboards, and, and give you, generate dashboards based on this time series data in addition to, to, to offering, to, to letting you search the logs as well, right? So we are essentially blurring the lines between logs and metrics, if it makes sense at all. Yeah, I mean, so conceptually, I really like what you're doing with your company and how how you've architected it. But convince me that if I go with Logtail, I'm going to have anything close to what I get out of Datadog. Full disclosure, Datadog is our biggest sponsor. <laughs> but, you know, why would I use Logtail instead of Datadog? Right. I think better that Datadog is amazing and the history, the, the company... I have a great respect for founder founders and, and for the way the company was built. Datadog is super strong when it comes to metrics. Logtail is super strong when it, uh, when it, when it comes to logs. And New Relic is super strong when it comes to APM, right? You're doing the... Sorry, wait, what, what is APM? Or what, what, what is good at APM? Uh, New Relic. A new relic. Okay, got it. Got yeah, it. yeah. So it's my favorite movie. I think it's called the the interview. Uh, the guy says it's same, same, but different, but still same. It is solving the same problem from a different aspect. And and we with logs with Logtail we we start with the highest granularity of information with with logs. By the way, one one interesting company that I would think that you are going to ask me about would be Lightstep because Lightstep. That's my next my next question. I think Lightstep and Datadog actually are like extremely direct competitors. But but at the same time, if you well, here's the thing: if you, you you do need to keep your logs, you do need to store your logs, and at some point you need to you do need to log. You need to at some point you do need to look into your logs, right? And with Neuralink, Datadog, and Lightstep, logging feels like an afterthought. It's something that you know people, companies need to keep for compliance reasons. So we do metrics. We do APM, and, and you can you can also uh, store logs with us. When you log into Logtail, the number one thing that you see is logs, and and you can dig into specifics of what individual workers and users are are doing within your product, and metrics are the cherry on top. Well, okay, so you mentioned Lightstep. So did you know Lightstep got acquired? Yeah, I do. Yeah. So my theory here is if Lightstep was actually in competition with Datadog they would never have sold. So there must be something fundamentally different about the business. It depends. Well, I'm not sure if the uh, transaction details were disclosed, right? So I don't know to what extent you know the background uh, of what's going on in the company. There are multiple things that can lead to an acquisition, right? Yeah, that's true, I, I, I guess. I mean... Well, here's the thing. Again, again, Jeff, I think the companies that, that and the products that you should also ask about is LogDNA and 
Uh, sure. Logs, logs.io and sure, yeah, yeah. trail and lovely right. and log okay. entries and okay all right all right. right you've made your point you've made your point you've made your point this is an insane market right 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 people are willing to ship logs to paper trail for yeah. some reason right i'm just approaching the same people and telling them okay i do understand you have this fundamental needs to ship to, to store logs well here's the thing here's a much better product at a significantly cheaper cost Got it. So back to the uh, pie in the sky stuff. So betterstack.com. So betterstack has two products, Logtail and uh, and better uh, uptime. So, okay, the other th- the cool thing about building software these days is you can think at a pretty high level and, and build the company at a pretty high level I and mean, think about the long term at a pretty high level. Are you thinking you want to eventually provide like a cloud experience, like a hosting experience? As in to compete with companies like DigitalOcean? Yeah, or, or you know, compete with Rent. I mean, this is another one of these really big markets. Like, whether you're Render.com or Vercel or Netlify or whatever, you know, you've got a great business ahead of you, right? So so why not do uh, better, better paths? Yeah, you know, I, I'm searching for all these better X domains. And reg- registering <laughs> them. So, yeah. Um, what, what's, what's the most random one you've gotten? I'm not going to share that. I'm not going to share that. But but that's a great question too. Yeah, look, internet is is definitely growing. We're just getting started. So any 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 solid internet business is definitely that definitely makes sense at least on paper. At the same time, whenever we start a product, I try to be at least ten x better than than the existing tools. Right? If you compare better uptime to Pingdom, if you compare better uptime to Uptime Robot, it is definitely ten x better. If you co- compare Locktail to, to Paper Trail, it's definitely 10x better, right? And my question in my mind is that if I were doing a digital ocean, what, what is the game plan there, right? And I think the game plan there is actually going um, for a cheaper cost, right? And by the way, while we are at it, there is a company in Europe doing something super interesting. It's called Hetzner. Have you heard about it? It's called Hetzner.com. How do I spell that? It's... H H E T Z N E R dot com, and they are, I think, the biggest cloud cloud hosting in Germany. So they do like two billion in revenue. They're not not small by any means. And what they do is that it like actually look up their certifications and 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 look into their like visualizations and and actually pictures from the data data center. Their their budget. But with the rock solid infrastructure, there was this recently. There was this fire in the other server house. It's it was o, OVH, I think. When you looked yeah. into that that server house, it it it. I don't want to be too aggressive here, but it looked kind of cheap, right? I wouldn't uh, looking at the data center. I wouldn't want to host my my info there. If you mm. look at Hepsner, it mm. is AWS level by by any standard, mm. right? At the same time, look at the, the prices. It just go to hetzner.com. And by the way, this I'm not affiliated with with them. I'm just a de- delight, delighted customer. Go to cloud, go to prices, and look up at the, at the very cheapest instance. You get a better deal. You get a better machine that you do at that you do at, with DigitalOcean for like half the price. And it's actually a faster machine, right? The only tricky part there, which is actually a, a, the deal breaker for, for most listeners probably, is that they currently have just two two data centers 
in Finland and in Germany. Well, it, more data centers, but two locations. They're only in these two countries. So, so probably if you, your user base is in the US, it should not be the first choice. But if you're ever thinking about what is the best AWS, AWS data center in Europe, well, maybe it's not AWS, maybe it's Hetzner, right? And you talking about another cloud company, well, frankly, I, I would need to have a plan how to be 10x better than, than Hetzner right now. And when they open their shop in the US, if I'm DigitalOcean, I would be kind of scared because they know they know that their stuff, they're building their own servers and, and they have a, I don't know, like 10, 20 years old history. So frankly, I think in that space, the game is about the cost. And I think there are companies doing amazing job there. So it, it would not be the obvious the obvious route for me. The obvious route to answer your, your ultimate question about where I see the, this field going in like five to 10 years is in integrating all the data. At the end of the day, the SRE doesn't really care if a, an insight is coming from uptime monitoring, logging, APM, metrics, whatever that is. They just want to find the root cause. And what lights that was actually super interesting at, as, a, as a concept was, was to, to searching for that cause automatically with simple machine learning mo- models, right? I think the gap between these individual product categories is going to be blurred going forward. And I think it's already obvious. Do you know the company WP Engine? Yeah, sure. You never used it as a customer, have you? No, but is it Jason Cohen? John Cohen? Jason Cohen, right? I don't I don't know who the, who the founder is. Yeah, he, by the way, has amazing, he has amazing blog, smartbear.com. He has, he has amazing talks on business. Highly, I highly recommend them. Wait, did he start Smartbear Software? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then, by the way, he also has a great taste in uptime monitoring. I can tell you that. Uh, uh, okay. But yeah, yeah. But so, what about WP Engine? What, what did you want? Well, okay. So, so what I what I, I look at WP Engine, and every time, every I like whenever I'm going over my finances for this the company that I wrote, Software Engineering Daily, like the softwareengineeringdaily.com runs on WP Engine, and every month I see the bill come in, and we're paying four hundred dollars a month for probably a WordPress container, like right. It's it's a Isn't WordPress. This amazing business, right? It's, but is it, it is because you're paying for your time. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Paying for for being calm when you're on an airplane, right? You know that your site is not going to go down, right? So, so let me ask you a question. So let's let. What if we make the cloud hosting version, general cloud hosting version of WP Admin? What happens if you say, okay, you're going to have to pay four hundred dollars per container? What kind of differentiated cloud service could you offer if you basically say, we're actually not the cheapest, we're the most expensive? <laughs> That's a funny one. Here, look, Jeff, I think, I think I'm not inclined towards businesses that are solely about price. But the funny part is that, for instance, let's go back to BetterUpTime. If you are replacing three different services for, for instance, them integrated with pager integrated with status page that your total bill is going to be about 500 to 600 bucks right so actually from my perspective our pricing can be solid we don't need to be the cheapest white by by any chance because you're already paying shit ton of money for your existing tools right the the bar is really high it's it's, it's super easy to be a little bit cheaper so that you as a product can be still expensive. You can still charge 300 bucks, for instance, 
for the same product, 300, 300 bucks you know, a month, right? But for the same thing, for the same number of services that you're monitoring, you're still cheaper than the existing free tools that people are using. That is the beauty of bundling and unbundling. See how I, I, I ditched the WP engine? No, no, I, 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 see, I see what you did there. The point I was actually just trying to illustrate was just that there is... I think that the category of hosting is has a lot of depth to it. And I think it has I think it's like it's one of these perennial categories like what you've built so far with logging and uh, and monitoring. So, got it. So, I understand what you're doing. I understand what you're doing kind of at a technical level. Where are you at right now? Like what are your biggest problems right now? What are you trying to do? What are your initiatives? What's your strategy? Or your tactics, I guess I should say. What are the tactics? Right. Shipping software faster, right? That is the number one thing. I and the team over here have a solid roadmap for the next six, eight, 12 months, right? Like we know what we need to build because there are companies coming to us and be like, can you do this? Can you do X? And at some point you're, you get better at pattern matching and at product and know that, okay, this actually makes sense, right? So at the end of the day, the number one game for us is that can, how, how, how fast can we ship software of certain quality so that we actually delight our customers? That is the name of the game. How fast can we ship it so that we it meets the quality bar? I literally am publishing a book called Move Fast that's about how Facebook builds software in uh, next month. And the, that's the whole reason I wrote the book is what, what, you're, what you're describing. Like modern software company, really the measurement of how well you're going to do is to some extent how fast are you moving? How fast are you morphing with the market? How fast are you improving your own software? How fast are you keeping up? How fast is your hiring process? How fast is your onboarding process? How fast do you use your operational expertise? You know, Do you know the underlying reason behind that? Because the faster you do all those things, the faster you learn. The faster you learn about the opportunity, about your customers, the faster you can be like, okay, screw this. This is not a good business. Let's do something else. Or this is a great problem to solve. We are just approaching it with a completely idiotic solution. We should do something else, right? So if you look at the flip side, if you are not moving fast, like do you think you're the visionary that when you come out with the version one of your product, the software is going to be perfect and people are just going to throw cash at you? You, you know, you just build it and they Never come. happens. Never, ever happens. Never at all. I'm looking forward to the book, by the way. Saw the cover. I was like, yeah. I'm going to order this. And I, just read through it briefly before the podcast. I'm like, damn it, I cannot buy it yet. You can't buy it yet. I'll send you a PDF. A PDF? But, don't be cheap, Jeff. So send me a hard copy, okay? I don't have the hard copies yet. I'm sorry. I'll send you a hard copy when I have it. Okay, so like at a executive level, what does moving fast mean to you? Hiring amazing engineers... And then having a different way of managing essentially any direct report, meaning, okay, so first of all, let's start with the very beginning. You start with looking for the right people. Typically, if you are a small company, let's talk, okay, so the, here's the scenario. You're a small company, you're a small startup, just a bunch of friends, you just started a new business. You need to find amazing people, the best people that you work with, sell them on the vision, get them into the company, and then give them all the resources to be successful. What does that mean? Well, really just removing any friction. Like, like I hate when small companies have restrictions on who can start a new cloud server, cloud instance. This still happens, and it's so stupid. Like, 
at before you get in co- into compliance and you're not doing compliance when you have no product everybody should have access to everything and at that point it's about you as a manager have the responsibility to figure out how mature is everyone how autonomous they can be and essentially start as a micromanager with every direct report and every time they do something right and you have no feedback you take a step back a little bit and give them give, give them more space to do their work and at the end of the day after a few weeks after a few days depends on how fast you are moving the delegation so called delegation in the team can be like hey jeff can you implement cdn caching for me you know make sure that recaptcha works and don't scrub our analytics and the guys like jeff's like yeah sure i can do that and that's it right here's the thing many of the software best practices out there are talked about because big companies are talking about them and they're talking about them because it's good for hiring but something that works for facebook is not necessarily great strategy for a small startup let me be completely clear it's just you and your buddy you haven't started you haven't launched the product yet you're just you know this is the the first week of you starting uh, writing a new software you don't know if this is going to work work out the number one risk for the company the number one business risk is that you're well first of all you're going to argue with your co-founders and really break up the the number one thing statistically speaking the second one is that you're not going to make something that people want right so we are coming back to the the fact that you need to learn fast and and iterate fast why are you writing tests on your first week of a new product why do you have a staging environment right why are you sharding your da- database before you have your first users like here's the thing it's not about the code style nobody cares about the code style it's not about the code quality the code quality doesn't matter my aim is not to write amazing software my aim is to have an amazing business and the right thing for the business is to ship great quality software fast but great quality means it's great quality for the user right software depth engineering depth is amazing thing when you have it at the right right place at the right time and the beauty is well here's the thing perfection kills startups perfection kills companies and ideas right so you need to identify the places where you can afford not to be perfect and you need to decide on what are the aspects of the product which need to be amazing does it make sense do you know what i'm trying to say it makes complete sense i agree it's how i build products there's a lot of heresy in what you just said but i like it you know companies like 37 signals or basecamp are doing have a great narrative about this and and that's it's aligned with the way i think about this microservices versus monolith right hybrid mobile apps versus native apps super cool new database that nobody heard of versus postgres like really are you not using postgres for your next project like give me the reasons right and most of the time hey, i'm talk- using firebase right cool good for you as long as you're moving fast i don't care right here's the thing here's the thing think about the single point of failure argument when <laughs> next time somebody shows you their uber cool infrastructure for instance i hate kubernetes i don't think small small teams should use kubernetes right let's that sink in for a second depends depends what you're doing but okay 90% of the time probably i mean but but, but come on it's not for most people like it's mostly Right, but 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 what is the if you open up Hacker News, what is the number thing number one thing you read? Like, oh, don't don't don't, don't use jQuery, 
Guess what? Right. Like right. try implementing the is visible method from jQuery without jQuery. Is it worth including a few few kilobytes of JavaScript into your website if you're going to ship the product faster? So I would think about all the best practices, so-called best practices that you read on Hacker News and revisit if it makes sense for you. That, that's a chapter from my book, Rethinking Best Practices. That is a chapter. Yeah, yeah, lovely. I love that book. By the way, I was going to write that book F- you, Jeff. <laughs> okay. Were you really going to write a book how Facebook builds software? Not necessarily Facebook writing software, but the way I, I, I like to, to look at software, yeah. Let me give you one more example, something okay. that I'm fascinated about. Why do people use cloud like EC2 or DigitalOcean? Or, or yeah, let's talk about EC2 for a second. Why do people use like scalable containers? Well, they use it because it's cool, right? But what is the underlying motivation? The underlying motivation is that you can scale your infrastructure dynamically whenever you need it, right? This is a super specific requirement that only some companies use. First of all, when you're starting a company, you have no usage. So like, why are you building a scalable backend? Like, you don't know if the app is going to work out in the first place. But even if you are building a scalable backend, does it really need to be scalable? Scalable in um, meaning that that in 10 minutes time, you add whatever, you double the capacity. Is it possible for your business that it can wait for it, it can wait for two days when you add another physical server? Because if it does, then maybe it makes sense for you to either buy or rent out entire physical servers for super cheap and get better economics. And it's not about economics. It's about you probably know Heroku, right? Have you deployed anything to Heroku? Oh yeah. Entire companies. Do you know how much memory you get on a one Heroku Dino? I don't remember. I'm sure it's minimal. It's like 512 megabytes, right? Yeah. So you're like, okay, I want to pay up for more because uh, we use Ruby and Ruby is not great with garbage collection. So, okay, I buy the largest Dino, which gets generous, and this is me being ironic, 16 gigabytes of memory, and it costs like 500 bucks a month. Going back to Hetzner or DigitalOcean and renting out an entire server, for that 500 bucks, I can get one server, which is going to have... 500 gigabytes of, of memory, not 500 megabytes, but 500,000 times more memory. And now, Jeff, the ultimate question, is it easier for you to develop brand new software at a computer which is scalable and distributed and you need to solve, you have many single points of failure and need to solve the microservice communication, or is it easier to host it on a single physical server with 500 gigabytes of memory. So even when you have a memory bloat, it can serve, the server can, can tolerate it for, for a number of days. And you have a single point of failure. Your database, your Redis, your whatever, what, whatnot is hosted on that single machine. Like Heroku grew up, Heroku became a thing when it wasn't common for people to have terabyte of memory in a server for super cheap, right? And why are small companies paying like 10 grand as a Heroku bill and getting a worse experience? So long story short, the moral of the story here is that startups are busy building their products and they don't get enough time to talk about the way they develop software, right? And when companies become bigger and want to hire, attract talent, then they start blogging about how the cool ways they're the engineering software. But at the same time, they're big companies. And their best practices changed in the meantime. So I would really question 
all the best practices. And if you are doing something just because that's the right way of doing them, do doing things, or because that's really the best way for you to be productive. Okay, well, there's a lot more we could talk about. Clearly, we should wrap up. Anything you want to add, or uh, I'm sure we'll do that. We'll do this again sometime. What else you want to close with? Yeah. So it's www.betteruptime.com. You will not regret it. Now, uh, on a serious note, there is an amazing book called Refactoring UI by the authors of, of Tailwind CSS. I encourage people to, to check it out. The smaller the company, the smaller the team, the more overlap in roles there is. And your full-stack engineers, your backend engineers will be writing parts of the UI, the smaller the, the team is. And the UI is going to suck when it's written by somebody who thinks about the way the schema structure should should be, the schema should be structured and not think about the UI. And I think you can write better UI. I think you can actually write better database schemas if you think about the end user, right? And one book that I give everyone that starts here, it's called Refactoring UI. It's super visual. It's an easy read. You can literally go through the book because it's just full of illustrations. It gives you examples about what not to do and examples about what to do visually. And you can become a better software writer by understanding UI better. Because even though if you are not interested in UI, you will find yourself writing UI in, in many cases. And the ironical thing is that you will get better at designing backend if you understand the end user better and become better at at designing uh, interfaces. All right. Well, yeah, it's been a pleasure talking. Yeah, this has been fun. Thank you for having me over, Jeff. Yeah, Jay, thanks for coming on the show and best of luck with the company. Thank you so much.